Welcome to episode 128 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, author of What, When, Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Jen Stevens, author of Delay, Don't Deny, Living an Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and jenstevens.com. Please remember... The thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice or treatment. So, pour yourself a cup of black coffee, a mug of tea, or even a glass of wine, if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. One more thing before we jump in. Did you know that common ingredients found in skincare and makeup products can actually disrupt your endocrine system? These endocrine disruptors are a silent threat that can have significant impact on your health, including something that is very important to me, fertility. Your skin is your body's largest organ and what you put on it matters. Endocrine disruptors are chemicals that interfere with the natural hormonal communication in the body. It also matters during pregnancy. And that's one of the reasons I pay close attention to what I put on my skin while being pregnant. Studies have shown that exposure to endocrine disruptors can affect both male and female fertility. For women, these disruptors can lead to irregular menstrual cycles, ovulation issues, and even polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS. In men, they can reduce sperm quality and quantity, making it even more challenging to conceive. But it's not just about fertility. When it comes to fat loss, one of the reasons that endocrine disruptors can get in the way of fat loss is because a lot of our toxins are actually stored in our fat. It's a way that our bodies protect us from those toxins. These toxic compounds can even work synergistically, amplifying their harmful effects and making it that much harder to shed unwanted body fat. All of these reasons are why I am obsessed with a company called Beauty Counter. The founder actually started the company when she learned about the potential dangers of toxic chemicals and their link to health issues, specifically miscarriages and infertility. While pregnant, I make sure to only use Beauty Counter products. It's one of the only makeup lines that is officially recommended from the Environmental Working Group. What really sets Beauty Counter apart is their unwavering commitment to protecting us, the consumers, from the hidden dangers that lurk in conventional beauty products. Beauty Counter goes above and beyond, rigorously screening every single ingredient that goes into their products, ensuring that they are safe, clean, and free from harmful toxins. They're not just a beauty brand, they're a movement for change, advocating for stronger regulations in the beauty industry. With Beauty Counter, I know that I can trust that the skincare and makeup that I use are not only effective, but also safe for me and my family. They have skincare lines for every skin type, as well as so many other incredible products. I absolutely love their overnight resurfacing peel. It's my favorite way to get anti-aging benefits in 
a skincare product. The makeup is absolutely amazing. I have tried alternative beauty products in the past and none of them truly performed, but with Beauty Counter, the foundation is so amazing. It makes me feel like my skin can breathe and it looks so dewy and beautiful. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. New customers can use the code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% off their first order. Beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends, now back to the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 128 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Jen Stevens. Hi, everybody. And how are you today, Jen? I am great. Boy, have I had some excitement since the last time I talked to you. <laughs> Do tell. Well, did I mention the moderator retreat that we were getting ready to have on the last episode? I think I did. I know you did to me. I'm not sure if it was on the episode. Okay. Well, there were 12 of the moderators that help out in the the Delay Don't Deny and the One Meal a Day Facebook groups. And so I wanted to get them together kind of as a thank you. And we've also formed a very tight-knit community, you know, handling all the group business behind the scenes. So we scheduled a moderator retreat. And out of all the moderators that, that we have, 12 were going to make it for, you know, we had like a week and people were coming for the first part of the week or the middle part of the week or the whole week or the end part of the week. Anyway, it was 12 of us getting together. And the moderator retreat was scheduled for Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Well, what just happened? <laughs> Stormy weather a Bruin. Yeah. It was. And so, you know, a couple days, like really like three days before everybody was scheduled to start arriving. And, you know, I had just moved into my house on Wednesday. I moved in on Wednesday. Then around Friday, we're like, oh, look, there's a hurricane that might hit the beach. (laughs) So we're like, oh, no, what are we going to do? So we kept our eye on it. Then when it started to look like they were probably going to evacuate, we're like, all right, what are we going to do? And, you know, people had plane tickets. They had time off work. So we threw some ideas around. We regrouped. I invited everybody to come to my house in Augusta instead. (laughs) And some of these people I had not met before in person, but I know them like their family. So 10 of the original 12 were able to change their travel plans. It was just amazing. There were people flying into Nashville and carpooling from Nashville to Augusta. Someone drove all the way from St. Louis. We had people changing flight plans to come from, end up in Atlanta and then carpool together from there. So it was pretty incredible. One of the members had to make an emergency, you know, prepare for a crash landing. Her plane did not crash. That was good. And then had her flight delayed for 10 hours. Then she had to fly the next day. It was pretty much incredible looking at the dedication of the 10 women that managed to make it. We had such a good bonding experience. You can tell I sound tired. (laughs) We ended up making it to Myrtle Beach for one night. Me and three of the moderators, we had to go. they They were scheduled to fly out of Myrtle Beach. So even though they got here through a different route, they had to get back to Myrtle Beach. So we drove to Myrtle Beach. We spent one night there, had some fabulous meals, and they got to fly out of Myrtle Beach. So, whew. It was quite a week. It was one of the best weeks ever, though. And I just am so grateful that they all were able to change their plans. We missed two people that didn't end up making it, but it was absolutely fabulous. You know, at one point, we were all moderating together and approving posts and approving members. And so it was just a great time. That is crazy. That's a whirlwind. No pun intended. 
It was crazy. Oh, and somehow the news got wind that we were here because somebody had posted that we were had evacuated from Hurricane Dorian. One of the members was in Charleston. She flew from Canada to Charleston and spent a week there with her kids before she was going to meet up with us. But she had to get out of Charleston right away. So she had to literally evacuate as they were like, <laughs> you know, she had like two more hours to get out. She had to rent a car and drive to Augusta. But we posted about that. And so the news, I guess they were searching for people who had evacuated from Dorian and they ended up coming to my house with a film crew, filmed us. <laughs> and um, remember, I just had moved in on Wednesday and then people started coming to my house on Monday after that. It was quite a party. That's insane. <laughs> yeah. Not everybody stayed here. We had an Airbnb that's nearby that I rented, but some people stayed here and some people stayed at the Airbnb. And the very last night, we lost the Airbnb because they had it scheduled for someone else coming in. So there were eight moderators plus my family under this roof. I mean, people were doubled up. People were on sofas. It was just the best slumber party and probably the most epic housewarming party that anyone's ever had. (laughs) And at one point, a friend of mine who walks by the house, she's like, I walked by your new house last night. There was some kind of ruckus going on. I'm like, yeah, I'm sorry. (laughs) That is so funny. So I don't know what the neighbors think, Lordy. They probably are like, those people are nuts. What is wrong with them? You know, people coming and going up till all hours of the night. We were playing loud music by the pool. So neighbors, I apologize. Anyway, we could not be deterred by hurricanes, airlines, crash landings. None of that deterred us. We got together and it was pretty amazing. There's a lot there. When the news came, did you talk about intermittent fasting? Oh, yeah. You know, because they wanted to know why were we all here. Awesome. (laughs) That's hysterical. And I mean, it was random. They didn't know that I was an author and this was my house. And it was a they were just like, hey, we heard you had to evacuate. Can we come and film you? We're like, oh, yeah. So while the reporter was here, you could see it in her eyes. She's like, hmm, this is going to be a bigger story than I thought. (laughs) Wow. Okay, I'm going to go back and look at all these pictures that you posted with this context. That is so funny. It was just amazing. And the moderators I had never met face to face, you really can get a sense of people from what you learn about them as you interact in an online community. And everyone was just absolutely even more amazing in person than I thought they'd be. That is amazing. Well, I'm, I'm glad it turned out well <laughs> and crazy. Well, it was, it was great. I'm exhausted. I'm still trying to recover. (laughs) I mean, it was a lot (sighs) and I'm still not completely unpacked, but I was unpacked enough. So what's up with you? The new show is going well. So I'm thrilled actually. So today a book came out that I've been dying to read. Do you know what that is? Well, no. (laughs) What is it? It's by an author who's also going to be on my new podcast, which I am beyond the moon about. It's David Sinclair and his book, Lifespan, Why We Age and Why We Don't Have To. Oh my goodness. I'm so excited. I've never been so excited about a book, I don't think. Well, I'm so glad. So have you, you haven't started reading it yet or have you? No, because since he's coming on the new podcast, which is so surreal to me. I want to finish prepping some other interviews first and then prep his. So I, and like, so I want to do all of the research on his stuff at once. 
I'm going to start reading it soon. It's so hard not to. I, I have been listening to podcast interviews with him though. It's like a teaser. Oh, I'm so excited. So excited. Well, good. Keep us posted. Let us know what you think. Oh, I will. I will. Oh, and for listeners, so that is the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. And you can listen to it on Himalaya, iTunes, all the things. So it's going great. I'm so happy with it. Well, that's fabulous. I love when things work out. I know. Before jumping into the questions for today, I was wondering, did you see that new study in cell metabolism? About ADF? Mm-hmm. Yes. Did you read it? Yes. Did you want to talk about it? I didn't read it like five minutes ago, so I'm not prepared to discuss the nuances like right this minute. But I mean, it was right in the middle of the moderator retreat when it was all coming out and I was moving and things were happening. So I like glanced over it. But no, I haven't like analyzed it in depth. I did. Would you like me to reveal its findings? Sure. Go ahead. Yeah. It's really interesting setup and it has a lot of factors about it that I like. So the study is called Alternate Day Fasting Improves Physiological and Molecular Markers of Aging in Healthy Non-Obese Humans. And it was published in Cell Metabolism in August 2019, so very, very recently. And I'll put a link to this in the show notes, but the show notes will be at ifpodcast.com slash episode 128. So a reason this study is... I think very important to analyze is so often the fasting studies are performed in overweight individuals rather than like healthy, normal individuals. So this was performed in healthy individuals. Yeah, I think that's huge too. I remember noticing that. Yes. And then something else that was huge, and I think this slips under the radar a lot, especially with the ADF studies, which is a longer fast, is a lot of the times in the quote fasting period, they let them have calories. <laughs> you know, they let them have like up to 500 calories or 500 to 700 calories. This was actually fasting. They didn't have any calories. I wonder what they drank. I can't remember. Did it say? So they were allowed to consume water. They were allowed to consume flavored carbonated water. I wonder what that was. And then also unsweetened black or green tea or coffee. Yeah, I wish they hadn't had the flavored water. But they could not have diet sodas. That's good. And they couldn't have anything else. So almost there. <laughs> almost there. And you know, you wouldn't know that it mattered so much if you hadn't tried it both ways. I've had the flavored water while in the fasted state, and it is immediate and huge. But only after you've gotten used to it the other way. Flavored carbonated water. Do you think that was probably like LaCroix? Is that what that is? Something like that. Yeah. So the study design was very interesting. So it was actually two studies kind of. So they had 90 participants enrolled in general, and then they had 30 of those participants who had, I'm not sure if it was like they had historically been doing ADF already or they instructed them to, but in any case, they had 30 participants do ADF for over six months. And then they compared them in a way to the other 60 people who were like a control group. So comparing them to the 30 people who had been doing ADF for more than six months. And then from that control group, the 60 people, they then split that group in half. And they had for four weeks, 30 of them did just a normal diet. So that was the new control group. And then 30 of them did four weeks of ADF 
per the guidelines that we just said. So with the ADF, I think they were doing 36-hour fasts. And during those fasts, they were consuming no food and then just the beverages we discussed. So the findings that they found were they found pretty much all across the board improved health biomarkers in the ADF group. So that was nice to see. A big takeaway they saw was that in the ADF group on the fasting days, they were burning more fatty acids, including polyunsaturated fatty acids and beta-hydroxybutyrate. And then on the flip side, their amino acids were going down. So they had less amino acids circulating and that has been correlated to longevity. So they noted the benefits of that. Although they noted that the amino acids probably went down because they were being used by the liver for gluconeogenesis. And then they also saw pathways changed in relation to those cycles. So pathways were changed within the body that encouraged the use of those substrates for fuel. They also saw like a reduced load in the ammonia cycle, which is a toxic byproduct of protein metabolism. So that was nice to see. And then the ADF group lost more fat and they experienced a better fat to lean mass ratio. So they were losing fat, maintaining muscle, not losing muscle. Like people are so worried about with intermittent fasting. And something I thought was really interesting was that for the ADF group, even on the fed days, they saw like an increase in ketone levels, even on the fed days. Yeah. And I think that's, that's just so interesting to me and important for us to mention because you hear so much false information about ketones and how, unless you're following the keto diet or or if you ever eat carbs, for example, you'll never have ketones. I mean, we had somebody in our group one time, this is a while back. I think she was a nurse and we talked about how you did get into ketosis through fasting. She argued with us like, and got so mad and left the group because she's like, there is no way you can get into ketosis if you ever eat a carb ever. I'm like, I promise, I promise that's not true. So the fact that these people were having higher levels of ketones, even on eating days is fascinating. It's not what some people think is true. Or she left the group. She was so mad because she did not understand that fasting is also promotes ketosis. She didn't understand that. And anyway, keep going. You can send her this study. You can track her down. (laughs) Well, (laughs) I don't remember who it was, but if you're listening, which I doubt because she ended up not being a big fan of mine after that whole conversation, I'm sure. (laughs) If you're listening, check this study out. We would love to have you back in the group, by the way. (laughs) And then, so another fascinating finding they found was, so T3, which is the active thyroid hormone, they did find that it went down in the participants practicing ADF. So you would think, oh no, like reduced, you know, thyroid, reduced metabolism. But before you have a freak out moment, two things. A, reduced T3 levels are actually correlated to longevity. So there's that. But secondly, they did not see a decreased resting energy expenditure, i.e. their T3 levels went down, but their metabolism did not drop. So that's huge. (laughs) Oh, going back to the fat that they lost, they actually lost the most according to the study, the most lipotoxic type of fat, which I thought was really interesting. So the most toxic type of fat that we harbor, that's the type of fat that was being targeted. And then going back to the fatty acids that were being burned, they did see a decrease in the fatty acids that are associated with the gut microbiome. Isn't that interesting? So interesting. Speaking of the gut microbiome, I think Jen will, you probably might've read this, but I think you'll like the conclusion. I'll read the overall, the last Conclusion. So at the end, they say overall, 
This study puts forward further evidence regarding the modulation of the thyroid axis, which we just discussed, and the cardiovascular system by the periodic depletion of energy intake. I'm actually going to pause there. They did find that in the longer group that had been practicing ADF for over six months, that they saw increased cardiovascular factors beyond the four weeks of the actual study, positing A, that ADF probably has cardiovascular benefits and that those benefits continue even on a longer timeline. So back to their conclusion, they say ADF and calorie restriction may share large overlaps in their beneficial effects on the human body with obvious differences regarding the oscillating nature of ADF. Whether these additional features of ADF are increasing the beneficial impact on the health status needs to be studied in future trials. Thus, it will be important to compare ADF and calorie restriction interventions in humans with matched levels of caloric reduction and to further validate preclinical findings. Here it comes. Such as the essential role of the gut microbiome in the beneficial effects of periodic fasting. What I find so funny though is they barely mention the gut microbiome throughout the whole study, except for that that one place where they talked about the fatty acids. And then that's like their conclusion. I just thought that was so interesting. I wonder if they're like, oh, we forgot to really talk about that. We'll just throw it in here. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, there's so many benefits beyond just that you're eating less calories and the the calorie restriction. You know, we look back to research that came out earlier this year out of, gosh, I think it was out of Japan when they found that as the fast, they measured someone, was it 52 hours or a group of people, 52 hours, I can't remember, but they measured all the things that that ramped up and, and they found all these things that were going on in the body that they're like, wow, we didn't even know that was happening. So I do think that the fasting, we're going to find more and more. The more they research actual fasting, the more they realize these things are turned on with the actual, the fast. Yes, exactly. So Dr. Peter Atia, who had David Sinclair on his podcast yesterday, and that's what I was listening to. That was an amazing episode, by the way. I'll put a link to it in the Intermittent Fasting Podcast Stuff We Like playlist on Himalaya, on the Himalaya app. So you can check that out. He did a deconstruction of this study and he did really like it, but he did note, he pointed out some odd things. He said, for example, that for the people that practice for six months, they say that they don't have access to their baseline information, which is like very strange. So there's like a huge lack of information regarding that group. Well, for example, I don't have baseline information from before I started intermittent fasting. I don't know what changed for me. No, no, no. Like from when they started the trial. Oh, they didn't take any data from them. They said they do not have access to the baseline values of the long-term ADF cohort. To me, it sounds like that means that they don't know what happened before they started, which was six months, at least six months prior to this study. That's the way I interpret that. Maybe I'm interpreting it incorrectly. No, that actually might be right. That would make sense. Yeah, because of course they had access to them when they started this part of it, but they've been doing it for so long, they didn't have baseline data from before. Yeah, I'm unclear if they, does it sound like they found people who had already been doing ADF? That's my hunch. Like if somebody came into our intermittent fasting support group and said, hey, we're trying to find people who have been doing this a long time to compare you to people who are just starting, who would like to volunteer for this study? By the way, we would we would love to do that. <laughs> I've got a giant pool of about a quarter of a million 
Facebook support members that could help you out. But anyway, you should email Peter. I'm not even kidding because he sent out on his email list. He was talking about this study. And then the last sentence he said was, if readers have some light to shed on the issues above, which is the way he's interpreting that information, he said, please send it my way. I'm actually going to email him and say, maybe that's what it was. Something he also pointed out was he thinks some of the numbers don't add up in some of the tables that they provided, which I thought about going and looking at, but I pulled them up and they're really complicated. And I was like, I'll just, okay. But in any case, it's really nice to see these types of studies being performed. And I think there'll be probably more and more in the future, hopefully. Yeah, I think so too. There's so much interest and I love that it's happening and that we're seeing these, the positive benefits. So much of the criticism that we hear about intermittent fasting is, yeah, a lot of the studies were done with animals. And so we have to have things with humans before we can draw some of these same conclusions. But it's a whole lot more difficult to study humans than it is to study animals for so many reasons. So, so true. Something personally that I experimented with recently that I found really fascinating. So I've been experimenting just with different macronutrients and ketogenic approaches and stuff like that. So I started experimenting with MCT oil during my eating window, not <laughs> not during the fast and pretty high doses just out of curiosity. And I hadn't had it in quite a while. I did it one day and this was the actually the C8 version, which is the type of MCT that is most rapidly converted to ketones. And so I did it one night and I did a ton of it. And within like an hour, I mean like pure ketones, like from my breath. I mean, I can't even, it was just like ketones were like coming out of my whole body so intensely. Like, and it's hard, unless you've had the MCT oil and experienced this, it might be hard to relate to, but it was like just very, very like ketones were clearly being excreted way faster than my body was dealing with them. Interestingly, the next day I ate pretty much the same thing, same amount of MCT oil, didn't have that barely at all. So it's like, is that how fast those pathways are regulated to process the ketones? Does that make sense? I wonder how fast just for people in general, that change happens. And I don't know the answer. Because, you know, we, we often get questions about keto breath and people get stressed if they don't have the keto breath, but we say that, no, it means most likely your body is using the ketones rather than excreting them because when they're being excreted, that's because there's an overabundance. But I just found it fascinating as a personal anecdote that clearly my body adapted like that quickly, like within a day to going from excreting all of this excess ketones to me not sensing that at all. Yeah, it's just an end of one experiment. Yeah, it is fascinating when you change something up and see what happens. Yep. All right, shall we jump into our questions for today? Yes, let's get started. We have a follow-up that I'm really excited about. All right, so to start things off, we have a follow-up from Taylor, and the subject is Pregnant Story from Delay Don't Deny Group. And Taylor says... Hi, Jen and Melanie. I recently posted in Jen's Facebook group, but wanted to send a follow-up to an email I sent you guys on April 12th. I don't remember which episode of the podcast you read it on. However, I'm going to blame pregnancy brain on that one. Spoiler alert. In my first email, I thanked you both tremendously because I had finally gotten a positive ovulation test. Backstory was that I had been diagnosed PCOS, which we know is a blanket diagnosis for elevated testosterone and issues with insulin resistance. I'm just going to pause right there really quickly. 
I will say, Jen, that is something I've been researching recently about PCOS is that it is likely related to insulin resistance, which is fascinating. But back to Taylor's email, she says, but upon further testing, found out I was not actually ovulating despite having normal periods. My husband and I knew we wanted to try for kids in the near future, so obviously this brought on some concern. My doctor didn't have much to say as for what to do next, so I researched on my own and found Jen's book in this podcast. Fast forward roughly five months. I've been doing one meal a day with clean fast religiously, averaging 20 to 22 hours. IF has changed my body and health immensely, and we're both ready to start officially trying for a baby. We got pregnant on the first try. That's in all caps. And congratulations, Taylor. She says, funnily enough, I knew right away something was off because I had become so in tune with my body through IF. I was fasting easily and doing one meal a day for so long that when I suddenly became absolutely unable, I say that with a ton of sincerity, I literally could not physically make it past 13 hours due to hunger. I knew then I was pregnant. I didn't even get a positive on a pee test for four more days after that, but I knew. I needed a bacon, egg, and cheese like nobody's business. I'm blown away, but I won't say I'm surprised. That's the magic of IF. I had a lot of doubters saying that intermittent fasting was a fad diet, and I truly hope when I'm able to share our story to everyone that it opens several eyes. Thank you again for sharing your knowledge of fasting with the world, Jen and Melanie. I owe a great deal of gratitude to you both for this tiny miracle. I'm sadly fasting behind, but I know that I'll be back once I'm finished breastfeeding. P.S. I would love to know how many IF babies there are. Isn't that thrilling? I just, I loved reading this. I mean, we just got it. She just sent it in. And it's just thrilling to see. Dr. Cecily Ganhart, she's an ABGYN. I think she's from Kansas City. I had her on intermittent fasting stories, maybe episode 31. I was looking at it for someone today earlier, so I think it's sticking in my head. But anyway, she uses intermittent fasting with her patients who have PCOS. And she said the same thing. She's finding so many of these women are are becoming pregnant after so long of trying. And it's just pretty amazing. Fasting does a great job keeping the insulin low. And so I'm not even sure that Taylor changed what she was eating. You know, a lot of women with PCOS also find that eating a more keto style or a low carb style helps them get the insulin down even lower. But I'm not certain that Taylor did that. So maybe it was just fasting. So congratulations. And it's it's absolutely thrilling. You know, there's hope. Yeah, no, I love this so much. And Yeah. Just to reiterate everything you said, it reminds me as well, our interview we had like with Dr. Annika Becca, because remember she reversed early menopause with her. I mean, it wasn't just intermittent fasting. It was an alkalinizing keto diet, but she's a big proponent of fasting as well. She's actually, I'm so excited. She's this week's episode of my new podcast. Oh, that's so exciting. For all the naysayers out there who say that intermittent fasting affects women's fertility, we can say it does in a positive way. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or it can. Right. Or it can. It can. But there's so many, you know, blog posts in the world where people are like, women shouldn't do it. And here we go. Yeah. The more and more I research, the more I think just like the insulin issue is so, so huge. And I just think intermittent fasting is such a way to address that. And I think people get so caught up thinking insulin is all just about low carb. When we have insulin, 
We need insulin sensitivity and it's there to deal with carbs, which are okay to eat and which are healthy and beneficial. We just need to make sure that insulin is doing its job when we're eating, when it should be, and it's not being released all the time. Right. Insulin is not bad. Hyperinsulinemia is bad. Yeah. The more and more I research, the more I think I'm just realizing that hyperinsulinemia has a lot of problems. And we actually had a question about it later, but I don't think we're going to get to it. So maybe next week we can talk more about that. That's so good. We'll save it. We'll get to it then. All right. We're ready for another one. And this is from Mags. And the subject is recommendation. Dear Melanie and Jen, while I've been listening to your podcast for almost a year now, this is the first time I'm writing and it's to thank you. Your recommendation to listen to Never Binge Again has had an enormous impact on my struggles with my intermittent fasting journey, as well as my relationship with food in general. I knew that IF was one of the answers to my prayers, but there was definitely something missing. When I started, I committed to a year of trial and error. I have a history of a compulsive overeating disorder that I've been in recovery from for about 20 years, so I have a deep understanding and trust in the slow recovery. I'm not in any rush, but since starting IF in December, my mind has been doing a number on me. I knew that there was a voice in there working against me, but personifying it, naming it, and gaining a deeper understanding of how it operates has brought me so much clarity, peace, and hope this week. I love how life works. I was talking with a friend about this voice in my head that was at the root of my struggles with eating, and within a week, the universe led me to a compassionate and thorough understanding of how I can get help for my tired, discouraged spirit. I have so much gratitude for you both. This book feels like another corner piece to my health and well-being puzzle, and I have you to thank for filling in those pieces for me. Best of luck with all of the exciting things you're both doing. I'm always cheering you on from my iPad. Fondly, Mags. I loved that so much. I love that too. And ah, that's so wonderful. And I think that is something about intermittent fasting. Like it has all the, the physical benefits. And I think one of the great things is that since it does make you more in tune with your body, kind of like Taylor was saying, it gives you the power in a way to also tackle the mindset issue associated with it, because I think it can be really hard to tackle like mindset and your perspective, especially like addiction surrounding food in your mind when you are suffering the physical addiction. So it's like with intermittent fasting, it helps you so much physically. And then if there is like a deeper, like psychological issue, I think it really helps with that as well. She mentioned the never binge again book. And Jen, I keep recommending this book to everybody. I wish it was called something different because I want to recommend it to so many people, but when I recommend it, it sounds like I'm saying that, oh, you're a binge eater, read this, which is not, I wish there was like another version that was the exact same book, but it was called like, never worry about food cravings or addictions or problems again, you know, like something that was a little bit less intense, but basically it just talks about how the voice in our head that often drives us to overeat or consume things that we know probably won't serve our body in the long term, why that happens and where that's coming from, from an evolutionary perspective and how to deal with it. Basically the thesis of the book, and this sounds so simple, but the way to deal with it is to just not engage with it 
So it's a very freeing approach because it doesn't require working through your history or like justifying or overthinking things. It's more just like identifying what is you and what is not you and how to make that work for you. And I think it can help, I think, especially with people who may struggle with intermittent fasting with overeating in their eating window, who find that they need to just keep eating, 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 either out of habit or that something just tells them to eat, or if they're struggling with cravings for certain foods, I think this book can be really, really helpful. So I've been prepping for, remember how we had Elle Russ on our podcast about the thyroid? She's another huge female fan of fasting. <laughs> that was great. So I'm bringing her on my new podcast and I'm, I've been reading her book, The Paleo Thyroid Solution. And she has a quote from Loretta Graziano Bruning, who's author of Habits of a Happy Brain. I haven't read that. Have you read that, Jen? I have not. I have like had no time to read anything. I mean, I don't know if this is a new book or not. So she's talking about stress and cortisol and everything. And she says, when your cortisol surges, you respond by noticing what it's paired with. It could be low blood sugar or the scent of danger or social isolation. Life experience builds myriad circuits that light up when your cortisol turns on. Sometimes the solution is obvious, like pulling your hand off a hot stove but often you're not sure what triggered the alarm. You don't know how to make it stop, yet it feels like something awful will happen if you don't do something immediately. For example, let's say you have a bad feeling about your boss while sitting at your desk in your office. You want to make that feeling go away because cortisol annoys you until you do something to make it stop, but you're not sure what started it or how you can relieve it. You do know from life experience that donuts make you feel good. Donuts trigger happy chemicals, because fat and sugar are scarce in nature. The good feeling distracts you from the bad feeling, which makes it seem like the threat is gone for the moment that you are eating the donut. Consciously, you know the donut hasn't fixed your problems, but happy chemicals are molecules that pave a neural pathway. The next time you feel bad about your boss, electricity trickles to the thought of eating a donut. If you eat one, you build a connection. You still know the donut doesn't solve your problem and in fact can make it worse. But going with the flow gives you a sense of safety for that moment. When the do something feeling strikes, your brain builds the idea that eating a donut is doing something. I thought that was really, really interesting. Just speaking to how we do form these neural circuits surrounding food and associating them, that it goes beyond just food addiction and wanting sugar or fat or wanting to overeat, that it is tying into something deeper, our stress response, a feeling of safety. So it is providing something to us therapeutically in a way, but sadly, we often form the connection to something that could be hindering us in the long term, you know, be that a food that doesn't suit you or overeating in your eating window. So it's so nuanced and so in-depth. Yeah, it really is. And I'm just so grateful to hear that it's helped her find that piece of the puzzle. All right. So up next, we have something also motivating and positive. This comes from Yolanda, and the subject is the power of appetite correction. And Yolanda says, Hi, Jen and Melanie. I want to thank you both for changing my life. I had a 25-year binge eating problem that I've successfully been able to control since I started intermittent fasting six months ago. I eat Jen's version of one meal a day, sorry, Melanie, and would have never imagined that I could get my brain and my body to be on the same page again. I've tried numerous things over the year, but nothing ever took away the urge to binge. When I started intermittent fasting, it was as if someone flipped the switch back on that controlled my satiety signals. I don't count calories, follow macros, or deny myself of anything unless my body tells me to. 
I eat when I'm hungry and stop when I'm full. The end. I have zero desire to binge. I'm so grateful for both of you. Thank you so much for all of your hard work. I love it. Her body has gotten back in tune with her natural appetite signals. That is our goal. And that's fantastic. So thank you for sharing, Yolanda. Yeah, I love it. I've been researching the work of Dr. Pompa recently, and I need to verify this. I don't have studies to back this up, but he did say that a lot of this does go back to the insulin like we were talking about. And he was saying that insulin receptors that have been damaged from, you know, like constantly eating or a carbohydrate approach that is too high for the individual or whatever it may be that they can regenerate within five days or after five days, like it takes five days and then they'll start regenerating. I need to verify that, but that would be very motivating. (laughs) All right. Shall we squeeze in one more question before we go? All right, here we go. From Migs, subject, coffee. I've been IF for just over a month. Before I started, though, I was 252 pounds and now 233. I supplemented with two meal shakes and a great dinner during my window, which is 16.8. I'm a mail carrier who walks just over 10 miles a day, five days a week. My question is, recently, Black coffee in the morning is making me hungry. Should I stop it if it makes me hungry or just power through it? Doesn't the hunger cause increased insulin? Thank you. I'm actually dying to hear what you're going to say, Jen. The reason you're hungry probably, Migs, is not the coffee. It's because you're only a month in and your body is still adjusting to intermittent fasting. You're getting to the bottom of your glycogen stores. Your body is going through this. this, It's just too new for you to start trying to think about, oh, is this coffee making me hungrier? You're going through the adjustment phase. Also, hunger doesn't cause increased insulin. You've got the cause and the effect backwards. And really, this is not a foolproof way of judging whether your body has released insulin or not. I mean, it can. Let's say you're somebody who has a normal blood glucose level, like me. You know, I'm in the fast. I've been fasting a long time. My blood glucose level is normal and stable. Then I consume a little bit of something that causes my body to release insulin. Insulin does its job. It ushers blood glucose out of my blood. Then my blood sugar crashes and I, my body's like, eat. I might feel shaky. I'm starving. I need to eat. I've had that happen to me before. And so that's though because my blood glucose was at a normal level and then the insulin release caused my blood sugar to then be lower than it should be. Now, let's say you're somebody who has really high levels of blood glucose. Maybe you're pre-diabetic. Maybe you have type 2 diabetes. You've got really, really high blood glucose levels. And now you have something, your body releases insulin, your blood glucose lowers, but it doesn't lower enough for you to suddenly feel shaky because your blood glucose is lower, but fine. It's at a good level, even though it's lower than it was before. You might not feel hungry. So the whole, it didn't make me hungry, is not a good test for whether you released insulin or not. It can. If something, if if your body does release insulin and then you get that hungry, shaky feeling, that's probably the sign that it happened. But as far as you being hungry after coffee, I really bet it's just your body with the adjustment period. And it could just be your stomach is growling, which is a mechanical action, not actual, you know, hungry. When I have an insulin response, it is a, I'm shaky, I'm starving, I have to eat immediately. It's very different than just, oh, there was a stomach rumble. 
but hunger doesn't cause increased insulin. No, that was the way that Migs phrased it. Yeah. I think that's really important to point out how like hunger is a sign of yeah the other way around, like you said. Right. It was the cause and effect were backwards. It kind of reminds me, I've been doing a lot of research actually on stevia. Guys, if I can, if if I've realized one thing from it, do not take, please do not sweeten anything with stevia during your fast. Please do not. It reminded me of this because they find that it seems to increase insulin release, which lowers blood sugar. So it can be posited as, you know, an anti-diabetic agent that would help insulin levels if you have high blood sugar, if you're fasting and then you, you know, have that during the fast and then that's going to release insulin, lower your blood sugar, make you starving, mess with insulin levels. It just seems like a very, very bad idea. Yeah. That confuses a lot of people. They're like, well, I read that it lowers your blood glucose levels. So isn't that a good thing? Well, not if the reason it lowered your blood glucose levels is because you released insulin. (laughs) That's not a good thing. Yeah. My takeaway, it seems like if you have it, you would want to have it with something sweet to lower the effects of the blood sugar from that. Like I feel like it would be more beneficial to tinker with it in your eating window. But from what I've been reading, I'm just like, please, this seems like the worst thing you could have during fasting. So my thoughts for Migs was, I was thinking likely that it could possibly, the coffee could be making you hungry, similar to what we've been talking about, because I mean, there are a few different things it could be doing. It could be, you know, depleting liver glycogen and creating a stress response. It basically could be affecting somehow your stress system and that being the mechanism for your hunger. But I think the takeaway, because our question is, should I stop it if it makes me hungry or just power through? I guess the question is, why are you drinking it? I mean, I'm assuming she drinks it for the energy boost, but it's making her hungry. So what practical answer would you give her, Jen, for, like, do you think she should keep drinking it? Should she try decaf? What would you encourage for a listener who is... I mean, if you suspect black coffee is making you miserably hungry to the point that you're having trouble fasting, there's only one thing to do, and that is experiment with leaving it out, right? You try leaving it out, see what happens, give yourself a few days to get over the caffeine withdrawals that you're probably going to experience, And then see if you're more hungry or less hungry without it. And that's really the only way to know for sure. True. You could also try something like switching to tea, green tea, seeing if that has the same effect. You certainly could because that would have the caffeine. I do want to point something out. Somebody in the group was talking just yesterday about how she's so nauseous during the fast. She's just queasy, queasy, queasy. And she'd been fasting for this certain amount of time. And why is she so nauseous? And, you know, we say if you're nauseous or shaky, you should eat. But I kept asking her questions. She said that she had just started drinking green tea, which is perfectly fine during the fast. But green tea makes me nauseous on an empty stomach as well. So just a little FYI, if you're not used to drinking tea and you suddenly start drinking tea and now you're feeling queasy, it's the tea. (laughs) Or you might be great with it. Just totally depends. (laughs) Right. You might be. But I just wanted to throw that out there because she was like, why am I so queasy? And I was trying to figure it out. And I'm pretty sure it was probably the tea. Although now I hope people don't get anticipatory nausea now. I, I've been reading that Joe dispenses you're the placebo. Yep, I've got it. Oh, it's so, so good. The part I just read was about patients who get anticipatory nausea upon 
certain medical procedures and it's completely just conditioned. Like it doesn't have any relationship to what's actually happening. The power of the mind is just insane. Do you want to hear one really quick study? And then we can, we can end that they did. This blew my mind, blew my mind. They had 13 children who are allergic to poison ivy. So on one arm, they put actual poison ivy, but they told the children that it was not poison ivy, that they weren't allergic to it. On the other arm, they put not poison ivy, but they told the children it was poison ivy. So on the arm where the children thought it was poison ivy, but it wasn't, it was only 13, but still every single child broke out in a rash. Isn't that crazy? Even though they weren't allergic to it. And then on the other arm where it actually was poison ivy, but they thought it wasn't, 11 of them did not break out. Only two did. Isn't that crazy? I mean, power of the mind. So yep, takeaways for this episode, power of fasting, power of the mind. You got this. Everything's going to be okay. (laughs) Yeah, I really think that the thoughts you tell yourself are so important. You know, if you're telling yourself, well, I'll try intermittent fasting, but it probably won't work for me. Well, you've already told yourself that. Or I'll try it, but it's going to be hard. Or I'm going to try it and I'll probably just binge. I mean, your brain is powerful. Tell yourself positive things. Yeah. Tell yourself it's going to be amazing. (laughs) Change your life. All right. So a few things for listeners before we go. We are a Himalaya partnered show. And if you follow us in the Himalaya app, you will get early access to our podcast 24 hours in advance. So definitely check that out. If you'd like to submit your own questions for the podcast, you can directly email questions at ifpodcast.com or you can go to ifpodcast.com and you can submit questions there. The show notes, like I said, will be at ifpodcast.com slash episode 128. And then you can follow us on Instagram. We are the IF Podcast and you can follow us on Twitter. We are the IF Pod. All right. Well, this has been absolutely wonderful. Anything from you, Jen, before we go? Are you going to go recover from all of the craziness? Yep, I'm all recovering, recovered, but I still need a lot of unpacking. This house has so many bookshelves. I don't have enough books. <laughs> I thought I had a lot of books. That's a wonderful problem to have. Like, I need to go count how many bookshelves are in this house. It's crazy. I'm really thrilled. All the books I ever got rid of, now I'm regretting. Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> all right. Well, I will talk to you next week. All right. Talk to you then. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember that everything discussed on the show is not medical advice. We're not doctors. You can also check out our other podcasts, Intermittent Fasting Stories and the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. Theme music was composed by Leland Cox. See you next week.